All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. And tonight we have a returning guest, Mike C., to talk about Starship Troopers. Robert is with us, and this will be episode 114 of the show. You can find the show notes and more at actualanarchy.com slash 114. Also, we have done about 45 minutes of pre-show content talking about all the not safe for work topics. So if you do want to get in on that action, check us out at actualanarchy.com slash Patreon and support us at the $5 a month or more level. And you will get all the incriminating evidence you need to call us literally Hitler's uh, or whatever you desire because, you know, sticks and stones and all that. Anyway, Robert, how are you doing on this uh, Friday evening? Hey, buddy. How are you? You're looking sexy. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, a little awkward for an audio program to mention that, but in another way, it leaves people's um, uh, their own imagination to kind of go with it. And so it might actually be better in that way. Sort of like those horror films where they don't actually show the villain or the danger. They just allude to it. And then it's whatever the, the viewer's mind can go to. So it makes it even scarier than if you actually show the monster. And can't people technically find some way to watch what we're doing right now? Well, if they do pay us at the $10 a month level, then they can watch it happen live. They can watch the sausage get grinded out here uh, as we're doing it. And well, so I'm so just tempting people and providing an incentive for them to tune in and pay. Yeah, could, they could form some sort of collective uh, or one guy just screen captures it and then sell resells it off. And then you guys have to sue him for. I, I would not <laughs> sue him. That sounds yeah. great. Somebody would go to all that work. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, hi, I'm Mike. Hey, Mike, our guest has chimed Sorry. in and he's going to start a um, uh, an intellectual property theft ring. Uh, <laughs> the hot actual anarchy video feed but we don't believe in ip so have it have at it anyone who wants to share it around go ahead and go for it but uh if you want the video feed actualanarchy.com slash patreon ten dollars a month you'll get the video feed live stream and it'll be super great we'll be happy we'll keep some more lights on i've got two lights on right now and we might even get a third if uh a few more people sign up so why don't we get into the uh last night's report on the show i mean that is if you guys want to know more Oh, imagine that decadence. Like Three lights in a single room. Okay, yeah, let's do it, buddy. All right, shall we proceed? We shall. Everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters is part of the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. This is going to be episode 57 of the show on Starship Troopers, uh, so Heinz 57 style, and it's also a time where we're going to kick off our new show artwork. So you will see new space age themed artwork uh, for the Last Nighters show on our site at lastnighters.com and also on the Launchpad Media. So be on the lookout for that. It's uh, super awesome. It's also the center spread, centerfold of the new Voluntarist Origins 2 
comic book that is just now being released out into the wild. So super awesome. Uh, so lastnighters.com slash 57 is the show notes page. We have Mike C. He's a returning guest. He was with us just last week talking about, what the heck were we talking about? Collateral. That's right. And uh, he wanted, we were going to do Super Troopers. No, <laughs> we were not. Our Super Troopers. We've done, we've done Super Troopers long ago. But we, so we mentioned I, at the end of the Troopers show, are way more super than Super Troopers. <laughs> oh man, this is a train wreck already. So at the end of last week, we said, hey, we're going to do Starship Troopers next week. And Mike C said, oh, I'd love to do that with you guys. And so we're like, oh, yeah, come on. Sure, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I invited myself. Then out of guilt, out of guilt <laughs> and wanting to save face, we invited him back. No, actually, he's, he's a great guest and we really enjoy him. So our first back to back. Yeah, our first. Well, we did do a couple of um, two parters in the past, I think. Yeah, the- that's right. We did do back- Dark Batman with Shaheen. Right. But but this is the first like two different movies back to back. And so this is quite the distinction. So, Mike, uh, uh, thank you for coming back. You tell tell the audience a little bit where they can find your your mechanical dream revolution on the SoundCloud. Right. And we've got the link to that on the show notes pages for this episode and the previous episode on collateral. Oh, thanks kindly. Um, yeah, it's mechanical dream revolution uh, on SoundCloud. That's pretty much the long and short of it. Um, I don't know. It's fun stuff. Check it out. It, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, also, last week, uh, we benefited greatly from uh, a video by a YouTube channel called The Storytellers. And I just wanted to uh, shout them out because they were the first interaction I had where I realized that you didn't have to be a postmodernist Marxist to make videos about movies on YouTube. So it was kind of nice to see kind of a not conservative view, but a rational view that just kind of like looked at the actual movies. So that was kind of cool. Um, and yeah, check my music out if you like my music, I guess. <laughs> All right. I, I highly recommend it. I actually listened to it uh, myself and uh, I like it. I, I enjoy it very much. Did you hear the, the Roll Cup one? Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. the other. See, this is the other thing about you being a guest. Every time we talk to you, it's like you mentioned three or four other movies that we should do. So Robocop is one of them. Gattaca is another. And uh, there was the, um, the Room that you mentioned um, last year that you wanted to talk about. So there's so many things. So we might have you back and we'll probably need to spread it out a little bit. Yeah, I yeah, know for sure. But Thanks for having me though. Yes, yes. Thank you for coming back. So let's get into this thing. This is Starship Troopers and the Google description information is this came out 1997, a thriller mystery film, two hours and nine minutes, and it feels every minute of it. It's very long. Uh, 7.2 on IMDb, 63% Rotten Tomatoes, 51% on the Metacritic. So a little bit splitsies there, but 93% of Google users like it. So here's the description. In the distant future, the Earth is at war with a race of giant alien insects. Little is known about the bugs, except that they are intent on the eradication of all human life. But there was a time before the war. A mobile infantry travels to distant alien planets to take the war to the bugs. They are a ruthless enemy with only one mission, survival of their species, no matter what the cost. Came out November 7, 1997. And I'm going to need your help on the director's name here, Mike. It's Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, Paul Verhoeven. Verhoeven. And he's uh, he's freaky deaky Dutch. Is that right? Uh, sounds like it. Sounds yeah. Dutch. And I'm referencing Austin Powers 3. By uh, the way, I'm not being like super racist here. You can be racist against white people. <laughs> I guess it's okay. Uh, so a budget of $100 million, box office of $121.2 million. And this was the start of a film series of, uh, well, lower, lowering levels of quality, I think. Uh, but this is based on a 
well, sort of based, loosely based on a Robert Heinlein uh, novel of the same name, Starship Troopers. Uh, and there's an interesting backstory around that that I'm sure we will get into. But let's go to Robert for your initial opening salvo comments. Well, I was surprised to find out that they're still making these things. There was one made in 2017. They've made like five of them or something like that. I, I had no idea that this was a series that people watch. I imagine they're kind of like sci-fi channel level, like $10 million Sharknado style effects and that sort of thing. But this movie, it actually looks pretty good. Um, I, what I like about this movie a lot is you can enjoy it on multiple levels. You've got your intergalactic bug hunt level, and then you've got your interpersonal romance kind of relationship level. But then you got this philosophical level where the, his world building, Heinlein's world building really comes into play with the way he structured this society. And I think that's probably where we're going to find the most meat and potatoes in this episode is destructing, deconstructing all that. But um, overall, it was fun. But it's fun on all those different levels. So it's all wrapped up into one movie. And I did, you know, there's a lot of speculation and a lot of commentary around this movie. And that's all surprising to me too uh, people have said it's a comedy or, i mean not a comedy but a satire and i'm eager to get mike's view on exactly what it's satirizing yeah mike we would like to know more so do your part and let us know <laughs> okay so uh mr verhoven makes satire so compelling that the thing he's satiring sat satirizing looks awesome um i guess he's satirizing national socialism uh, in the most utopian sort of version and a globalist sort of version of that. Um, I like. I love this movie on a few different levels. The boy in me, the sort of fascist part of me, loves the the fascistic stuff, and then I can kind of distance distance myself from it with the satirical nature. So it's so over the top, and it's so sort of hyper masculine, um, and so rousing that you can kind of just enjoy it as a story. And another thing I like about Verhoeven is that he makes movies that have a beginning and an end. And the idea of making a sequel to this seems preposterous because it ended and that's it. Like, you don't really need to keep going with the with the war because the whole point was that it's essentially like a propaganda film, you know, about about humanity overcoming these bugs. Like the right. whole thing, it, it, it's half documentary and half propaganda film. And it's not really like an action movie, but it is, it, you know, it, I don't know. It just completely sells it for me. So, well, so. I find it kind of interesting. Um, Robert shared a Sargon of Akkad video with me, and I didn't get through the whole thing, but it seemed like he was pointing out how popular this is just in general, like in this cult classic kind of sense. And a lot of people are looking at this and really enjoying it. But in the um, origin of it, Paul Verhoeven, did I say his name right? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, whatever. He's not here to defend himself. And Well, apparently the history of it is that this movie, the script was already written, the story was already written, and it was only later that they acquired the rights to Heinlein's novel. Interesting. Or like the place names and some of the character names, but very much of the story is very different. And it's, like you said, very satirical. And I think the director was trying to make it be a very anti-war film, but by going over the top pro-war in this kind of B-movie war movie that it's, you know, it's so ridiculous in that respect that it makes it become an anti-war movie. And this is back, might might we add, 1997, you know, back when the left was dependably against war. I, yeah. I'm curious no, to hear well, his opinion today. Um, but in a way, well, I feel we were, like... We were happy to intervene, you know? Sorry, continue. Well, I think the left was a little bit more against intervention in the past. Like, yeah, fair like, enough. Not domestically, but internationally. Or like peacekeeping, in quotation marks. And yeah, yeah, that's probably, that's probably okay. <laughs> But anyway, this might be one of the greatest troll jobs in film history. Because well, considering, yeah, considering that it doesn't really like 
cash. It doesn't really seem like a troll by the end. You're almost on, in favor of his ideas. Right. But uh, Verhoeven said that he started reading the Heinlein novel and only made it about a chapter and a half, two chapters in. Yeah. He was like, this is just too authoritarian, too fascistic for me. So I'm going to go uh, basically do the opposite with this movie, but in this kind of, you know, over the top way. And so it's um, it really changes the sentiment of the novel. And I'm sure if Heinlein were around, he would be very would have been very upset with this. Yeah. Well, Stephen King was upset with Kubrick's Shining. Well, I got to go with Kubrick on that one. Yeah, exactly. Like, fuck him. You know, like it's a different medium. Sorry, I shouldn't swear so much. My sister told me she read she listened to the podcast and said it should tone down that. Well, we do market explicit, so not not safe for sensitive ears. The last yeah, matters. But anyway, I found that pretty interesting because he didn't even read the novel all the way through. They already had the story written, and it's not like Starship Troopers. I mean, it was a very popular novel in the like when it came out fifty nine, I think, and it won an award in nineteen sixty. But I'm sure thirty five years later, when they were talking about making this film, that it wasn't still top of mind in you know science fiction circles so it wasn't like they were trying to cash in on the name or the characters or the story even i think that it was trying to um use the name and use it in a way to almost trash it if you know what i mean i would definitely call this a satire of the novel without having read the whole novel the same as verhoeven right i mean this is all speculation which is kind of what we do here but oh yeah maybe it's maybe it's not a satire of the national socialist sort of utopia that is depicted so much as a satire of the novel itself that presents this idea. But the idea of the novel, because he didn't even read the novel. No, that's what I mean. Like he just kind of got, he got into whatever chapter three and he's like, ah, this is too right wing for me. Right. And really, I mean, Heinlein, the moon is a harsh mistress and, and uh, a bunch of his other works, very libertarian and has some great quotes. I've got him up on uh, uh, one of my websites. And I think that he does make a very compelling um, argument for individualism and, and freedom. And uh, I, I, I don't see where the bent came from for this sort of author- authoritarianism. Um, well, the, novel, but... um, the authoritarianism within the society depicted allows for individuals to succeed and celebrates their achievements individually while in service to the collective. So that's that's the long and short of the appeal of national socialism is that the the you know it celebrates strength and intelligence and ridicules weakness and its might is right and uh the superior will win in the end and I don't know. That that's the appeal of it, right? Um it, it provides freedom within the boundaries and then it beats anybody that steps out of those boundaries back in a submission. So, so it's presented really well in the film. I think, I think he depicts it perfectly. Like, you know, the children are fighting over a rifle and as they're handing out like bullets, they're stepping on bugs and they're all doing their part. So I don't know. If that make, I don't know. If I'm not trying, like, I'm not going to apologize for it yet, but I can do that later. All right. Well, you prime that uh, apology for later. Let's go to Robert. I'd like to know more. Well, I don't know. You know the the whether Heinlein was actually you know reflecting his own philosophy in this film or whether it's more towards libertarianism. But if 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 the claim is that this society is somehow in any way libertarian, I yeah. I would horrifically beg to differ. I, I can't imagine that anybody is seriously saying that. Am I am I strawmanning something right now? It sounds like I am because I, this this society is horrifically authoritarian. Yes, yes, very much. Okay. Okay, yeah, good. The one, the one thing that I think is actually a step in the right direction is, uh, and it's a very hesitant step here, that the service equals citizenship. So only those with a stake in the society 
have a voting right. And that goes back to uh, like medieval Europe when there were city states and, and, and competing um, authorities where only the people who were landed, only the people who had property that would be removed from them, like in taxes, would be able to vote on those taxes. And so in that way, there was a consent of the governed. Granted, it was, you know, if you're outvoted, uh, you don't really have the consent, but it wasn't people who would not be taxed voting to tax people. It was the people who would be taxed voting on those taxes. And in in that regard, I think that would be an improvement on the present system. Yeah. Are you saying that this film depicts something like that? Yeah, there's a two-tier democracy. So the democracy only exists with people that are willing to join the army. You only can vote when you do that, yes. You can only run for office once you run through your service. But the Federation still taxes you whether or not you do that. No, for sure. But like So it's essentially taxation without representation. Oh, absolutely. Um but it's you can't even get a child have a child. Yeah. But it's got my vote um uh above the democracies we have right now, which are just open to anybody without any stake in it issue. Uh, I think it's an improvement on on that system where a bunch of people can get together to vote somebody's money. So why can't they just have their own thing? Just just have your own little society over here and then you guys can go all do that and have a stake in whatever and then yeah. just leave me alone. Yes, absolutely. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah, like we would in our, you know, libertarian society, you could have a commune and be socialist, be communist, whatever. Just yeah, leave me out. Label a terrorist and attack by the government. Right, right. But, it, you know, it, it still is an improvement in, in another respect. Like there are some countries where there is compulsory military service and, and there had, right. you know, the history of, of a draft in the United States. And this is at least voluntary, right? You no. can choose to join up to get citizenship. They don't draft you, true, but well, they're still going to tax you regardless. No, but it's the philosophy is a separation of the weak and the strong or the, the intellect and the dedicated. So only people that are willing to put a personal stake into the society and protect it with their lives are are have the right to participate in the political process. Yeah, and so they have the right answer. to rule over everybody else who doesn't also <laughs> join in. But right. this, what they are describing is an answer to democracy, which is essentially a soft form of communism. Well, I'm with you guys on the whole, you know, voting for stuff for free and not having it cost anything. Yeah, like that's and, an answer, right? Right, and having, right, I'm with you on that. But this idea that, well, we're just going to have everybody be volunteering into this system and then you now get you get all these benefits and then you get to extract the wealth out of everybody else that doesn't join in. Yeah, but I think like, I mean, the conversation you're going to be having about this is just like it's on a completely other level than this film, which is kind of utopianist. Like it's it doesn't because the society is so high functioning. Yeah, so? unbelievably high functioning. Yeah, what? Like what are you talking about? Everything is clean. You guys are both crazy. The dialogue is not subtle in any way. Everyone is 100 percent clear on their positions on things. And even the bad guys in the movie are wonderfully uh, upstanding, righteous people like like his um. His antagonist in competing with Carmen uh, is actually a pretty good guy. He's a bit, you know, he's kind of wheeling his chick or whatever, but that's like whatever. Uh, he, when when they bring the the troop transport down, he personally, as you know, gets out of the plane and starts shooting to try to cover their retreat. So it's like all these like people that are. Um, it generates people that are dedicated to the society they are, which we would call the state. But in there, okay, I'm yeah, I'll just argue on the side of the. <laughs> 
I'm okay, it's also it's also it's easier just to do it adversarial, right? Because I'm not actually advocating for it, but it's also right. a war state that creates its own oh. enemies. Yeah, I mean, I, an external enemy for Earth would be a godsend. We could really get our shit together, <laughs> you know. Instead you're, of, like, <laughs> Mike's advocating for alien enemies. I like. I started Reagan. Paul Krugman. Think, Reagan, the union buster. Think of all that stimulus if we just prepared for an alien invasion. Yeah, oh, it would man. be fabulous. Wouldn't it be great for the economy? Oh, right. could break, so, Robert, break so many windows, too. Robert, I want to go back on on uh, what you were trying to get at, though, because you are you're trying to pose a question, and we kept cutting you off. Oh, yeah? What was I saying? Well, see, it would help if I listened. Oh. No, it would help if I remember what I was talking about, too. <laughs> uh, oh, you were saying that it was not a high-functioning society, and... Well, uh, yeah. Okay. So you're, to Mike's point about the high-functioning society, I see what you're saying. Like everybody's on board with the society. Like everybody's kind of in agreement about this, how thing works, and everybody's pretty much on board. And there's also a high level of technology. They got starships and, you know, right, huge buildings. and But those starships, a lot of the starships also blew up because of their blew. actions. Yeah. And a lot of those people died because of their actions. Yeah, but they were failures. They just got to learn to win. It's, it's inevitable. If you go around as this war state... That has to justify all these soldiers and all these starships and all these weapons you're making. You're going to find an enemy. Yeah, no. You're going to go sure. screw around with these bugs who just want to be left alone. But you, so they I go mean, to these planet and slaughter them all and have it act like this, uh, this so, uh, exciting, what was it? I, I likened it to this whole watching this movie was like watching frat, bo frat boys go to war and how awesome it was. Just chugging a beer and gunning down some bug on an alien planet and how. Woo! Oh, they were no, they weren't rock music and they weren't lackadaisical about it. Is the is the point? Because that's what's interesting about this film. They don't. He doesn't really ridicule it. He satirizes it. Like like they they lock everything down. Everybody is highly obedient and and quite uh, useful in critical situations. And and for the most part, people succeed and fail on their own merits with no nanny states to protect them. It's a paternal state of this sort of angry sort of father energy. It's like a hyper masculinity. And so like. Oh man, <laughs> kind of cut off the rails there. But like, I don't know. Like failures made public. Um, people step down when they make mistakes, stuff like that, right? And the one thing this society doesn't have is Marxists. <laughs> so it's well, like, it's like, what's the guy? What's the author's name? Heinen. 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 So I think he just was caught up with that. I think that that was his answer to Marxism. Oh yeah, he definitely smacks down Marxism. In the yeah. Sargon video, he talks about how Marxism and the labor theory of value is a complete joke. Yeah. But I mean, it's just might is right, right? So if people die in war, then they should have, like, ideally that they were, uh, you know, confident, strengthful, or strong people enough to have bred and then died in war, and then their offspring makes the next set of troops and pushes the gene pool forward and the, the people of Earth forward, our species dominating the galaxy now and forever. Yeah, let's talk about the idea of this, how wonderful <laughs> forced is. He doesn't even consider... That the bugs like the rhetoric is that they don't even consider that they should talk to them right. or that humanity shouldn't dominate the galaxy now and forever. Yes. Like it's not even on the table. Like, oh man. It's nice to have like uh clear, clear understandings on positions and everybody like, you know, you're talking to somebody and they declare what they are. That doesn't happen very much in our society. So that's that's kind of a sort of a bonus. Even if they're all super fascists, at least you know where they stand. Most fascists don't tell you they're fascists anymore. No, they claim they're social democrats. Yeah. Well, they claim they're, they're, they're freeing you and enlightening you by force. Now, Robert, you mentioned something about they're manufacturing an enemy or manufacturing a threat. But 
didn't the the bugs hurl asteroids at Earth, and didn't they have like a defense, uh, like space station that would shoot the asteroids before they would hit the planet? So weren't were they not being attacked, or was that all propaganda in the film? That was propaganda. Yeah, I think that was propaganda that they were you know attacked by the bugs first. I but that Buenos was... Aires did get destroyed by the asteroid that they run into in the ship, right? right? And right. then their uh, communications array gets destroyed, so they can't warn Earth. And then it hits the planet, so right, which is a great propaganda piece to use. Yeah, it's like um, if like a boat was sunk by Vietnam or something, you could like, or like a country attacks a harbor at some point, or like the World Trade Centers were attacked, so you need to invade two separate countries. All right, yeah, I, it's almost okay. like there's a catalyzing event that could be used towards your militaristic desires. Right, but it, but in this scenario, the ship was there and they would have warned earth if their communications array had worked so it was not like a hey we're gonna let this happen so that we have you know uh, a, a run on nationalism and patriotism and get people signing up to go and kill bugs they didn't even need well, you don't that, necessarily though. have to manufacture they, a thing they didn't even need that though like they were they were all on board anyway they already had the army they it just was just rico who go. changed his mind yeah it's only Rico. They yeah, wouldn't have had it. Rico otherwise, but they had Rico. Um, I think they mention that we sort of invaded their territory first. I believe that's true. Yeah, because the Mormon outpost, um, John Smith or whatever, um, was was in place and they were all massacred. And apparently like right. they had their space and we sort of started colonizing it. And then they started coming back after us. And then we only then, which is interesting, only then did we view them as like... Or, uh, realized that we were at war when they started attacking us not when we were attacking them just you know you could transpose it onto some interventionist policies all kinds of things that happens yeah, yeah. now when when the mormon uh, camp got attacked the voiceover in the would you like to know more uh, which by the way their internet interface was actually pretty spot on for, for the time yeah i mean you watch that and you're like oh yeah i could see that being a web web page but uh, it's, like, it's it's linear, right? There's not like you don't go, you don't type in what you want. You get told what you want. Like, oh, there were there were tabs. You had tab browsing. Yeah, yeah. different things, you know. But like all that's curated, right? The way like Facebook's kind of curated. Yeah, but uh, but back to the Mormon thing. Um, the voiceover basically said, "Well, the Mormons settled there against the wishes of the Federation." Yes. So they so, were told they weren't allowed to do that. Right. So so if that's the catalyst for this whole chain of events where some some group went rogue and disobeyed authority and then got slaughtered, and now that authority is going to uh, retaliate. Is that well, is that what we're saying is happening here? To Robert's point, those people had to leave the society in order to be as free as they wanted to be, presumably. Right. And the Federation could have just said, well, they chose to live outside our protection and they got what they deserve. No, but they, yeah, was, you know. but they got a war state. They got to feed the beast, baby. Yeah, it reminds me of Troy, right? Where like, you know, 50,000 Spartans didn't come here to negotiate peace. <laughs> yep. You know, you don't you don't get the army ready and then just not fuck somebody up with it. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that's like the excuse for the military industrial complex these days. Well, we, we built this <laughs> weapon system that's meant to fight like a previous war. So we might as well use it. We built this nuke. We're not just going to let it sit there. I don't know. There's a certain like level of, um, I mean, like the secular libertarian fascism of Napoleon, right? I mean, there's arguments for progress being made through force, I guess. Progress? Well, it frees up space, right? For people to like, so you build like a... Like killing the people that were there? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, there's that. I mean, our our countries are built on native burial grounds, but um, like what existed in France before the revolution, before terrorism and and then authoritative 
like the France as an empire under Napoleon, right, um, was not as good as what came after. So there was more liberty to be had by way of um, temporary, temporary authority, temporary fascism and collectivism. So it's interesting how history plays out that way. We build, we build systems that are, we build systems through violence and authority that create space for people to be liberal inside of them. And then they become corrupt. And then we get tired of that. And we, we purge through violence. And then we cycle through again. That makes sense. That's too much. No, it sounds okay. interesting. And we're actually next week going to do Les Miserables. Oh, right on. Which okay. will be uh, basically the flip side of this uh, authoritarian coin, I think, with the Robespierre. Hey, those, those guys revolt at the drop of a hat. And I'm not even sure why half the time. But um, I mean, in France, the communists and Nazis have united against the government. So they done screwed up bad. <laughs> if, if you can get commies and Nazis to agree on fighting you, you're probably not a very good government. <laughs> All right, well, let, let's shift this back to uh, one of my favorite tropes, and that is the unlimited ammunition in the guns. And also, early in the film, the guns are hardly effective against the bugs, but then as the film progresses, the guns become quite effective, and I find that kind of interesting. Precision. It's it's an increased skill level. Yes. And you got to learn to shoot them at a, a specific strike. part. They're getting more crit damage. Um, <laughs> they leveled up. Yeah, they're veterans, I think. Okay, yeah, their experience level went up. They put like, more skill points into the accuracy. Yeah. Panzer General or whatever. Yeah, instead of instead of increasing the weapon, they're getting like double double damage bonuses. Right, and they do make a point with Doogie Hauser where, well, you have to shoot him in this very specific spot, and that knocks out their nervous system or something. Yeah, and so like, yeah, by the end of the movie, they're all battle hardened. While he's, you know, now the the new batch of twelve year olds has come, um, but the the veterans are able to take out like because in the first battle it was about ten to one uh, human casualties to bug casualties, and then by the end they're taking out scores of them, hundreds. Yeah, can we talk about that just a little bit? This movie, it was definitely made by somebody who has no understanding of battles or anything like that. There are no squad tactics. There's just a horde of humans running into one area, and then there's some bugs there, and then they all shoot, kind of, sort of, at this area, at this angle, at this angle. I'm shooting over here. I'm shooting over there. Oh, I might have just shot my friend in the head. I don't know. There's no firing line. And then awesome. my friend gets slaughtered, and there's no idea, concept of, like, taking ground or holding areas or covering each other or movement at all. It's just horde goes this way, horde goes that way. Oh, we all got slaughtered. Oh, run away. It was oh, ridiculous. Oh, it's, like, it's, like watching, it's like watching eight-year-olds play soccer. Yeah. No, it was, those were, um, I was going to say retarded, but uh, it's just those are very dumb, very dumb tactics. But the Sky Marshal resigned. Calling them tactics at all. Yeah, yeah, no. Just, just dump a bunch of infantry on the battlefield. I guess in the book, it's mechs. It's like battle mechs, but. Yeah, it's like super mech suit yeah, power that suit. Doesn't, that doesn't. The whole point was that they were like idiots running. Oh yeah, well that's like blindly into battle. And what I liked is that like the well, it's a society too though, where like the guy that um, made those decisions immediately steps down. Like he okay he his position. So, but a good chunk of this movie is shown like the roughnecks training, like. Rico yeah. is in this training situation. Oh, and their training was ridiculous too, though. That was ridiculous too. I understand. It was like the laser tag where he's doing flips and stuff. And it was just like him playing football. But there was no understanding or concept of cover fire, taking cover, you know, movement at all. Well, they did mention it during the, the live fire exercise where the one guy got shot in the head that he was uh, interfering with somebody's line of fire because his helmet was malfunctioning. So there was, they did make one allusion to there being some tactics involved. And but then they, was, as soon as they start fighting, <laughs> this goes out the window. Just who cares? Let's just shoot each well, other in the they, head. Yeah, they certainly did just dump a ton of infantry. It's like a risk battle. Yeah, a battle and risk. A pile. 
a handful. <laughs> that the, the, the reason that they did not have tactics might have been because they underestimated the intelligence of the bugs because the the ships were saying, oh, the, the anti-aircraft fire coming from the planet is just random and and uh, periodic and we don't need to worry about it mm-hmm. and then they realize it's concentrated and it's actually hitting the ships and they're like oh our military intelligence is is totally wrong we underestimated and that was what resulted in the air marshal um demoting themselves or, or stepping down uh because they had underestimated the enemy they had bad intelligence bad information that led to you know wholesale slaughter of their invading force I'll grant you that. I'll grant you they underestimated their opponent, but that still doesn't excuse not having clear firing lines. You still don't want your own soldiers shooting each other in the head. No, but uh, Paul Verhoeven's leftist. He doesn't understand how wars work. I I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, but I haven't I think, seen. Sorry, I haven't seen any of his other work, so I don't well, know if he just Joe has Robo, soldiers Robo running Cop. around. But. Yeah, I mean, even RoboCop, right? It, it, it's all very simple. But again, I think that sells the story that he's telling anyway, and the ideas in it. And what's interesting, here's a, here's a, a libertarian idea that overlaps into this national socialist, um, utopianist sort of idea, is that like the competition, right? So they, they had lectured into stupidity because they hadn't been in a war soon enough, right? And what they needed was some competition to innovate um, better tactics, which they started utilizing immediately afterwards. So the, the guy that failed steps down, a new person, a woman of color, comes up and has better tactics, informs, informs, informs a better strategy to the military force, and then the military force starts using uh, more economical tactics. This so. the, That only makes sense if this is a brand new society that just was poofed into existence yesterday. You would well, think that they, didn't have, they, they have some understanding of history. They're talking about Carthage yeah. and whatever. Hitler, Hitler read Napoleon. He still invaded Russia. At least Hitler had some idea of tactics. Oh. <laughs> No, I mean you're right. I'm just, I'm just saying the explanation would be that they lectured from not having a war, so they needed a war, right? Oh, I, I think they need a war. This is a yeah. kind of society that needs a war for sure. Yeah. yeah, fresh meat for the grinder. Yeah, well, and that that guy died. Like that guy lost his legs and his arm in something. Right. I'm assuming purging the all of Asia from the world in their society. Like I'm like because I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I, like, there's no Marxism. There's no collectivism. There's only certain visible races as well, which I'm no, sure. No, wait a minute. You, media you, would have a think... real day with that. Hang on. No what? collectivism. Come on now. Oh, okay. Sorry. There's no. Yeah, I meant to say Marxism. I just was getting sick of using that word. Okay, because this oh, is a very collectivist, collectivist society. Right, right, sorry, it's a very collectivist society. It's a different kind of collectivism. So it's like these two competing collectivisms, which would have formed massive blocks for their revolution, which I'm assuming like was some sort of global social democracy. And they're like, well, we like the socialism part, but what about this? We'll put some fascism in there, right? Well, they did say that democracy had failed. Yeah, and well, so it's destined they, to, isn't it? Right, and they were building on the ashes of that. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Rico's parents being very anti-war? Well, wait a minute. Before we get into that, you just said a very interesting thing, Daniel. Hang on. Wait, what? What? Table that question. You say interesting things from time to time. It's true. You said that democracy had failed, and it's true. They mentioned that in the movie, but then they also talk about having politicians running for office once you serve. So which is it? Well, I well, think they're... you're speaking to mass democracy where everyone can vote. Yeah. So it's just specialized yeah. service-only democracy. democracy works great. Oh, okay. If okay. you're in a war, then you know how to run a country better. Yeah, democracy they, plus. Yeah. Like they introduce democracy a, plus. A exactly. Yeah. They want only the best to to go to the hierarchy or up the hierarchy because uh if you don't have to do that, then people that are just really good at talking shit can get elected. So I guess that's that's, ne- a, that's the argument. Ever. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, Daniel, go back to what you were saying, buddy. Sorry. Uh so his parents, Rico's parents, were very anti yeah, or anti him joining up and 
becoming a citizen and and he was doing it to impress a girl right yeah Who wasn't even into him <laughs> that guy's an idiot man uh what's her name dex dex is way better 100 percent better she's a quarterback she ran shit much better mates yeah know, she was a little bit too is. good of a quarterback for me did you see her like laying those guys out yeah but this is also a world where like because they've got this perfect society there are certain individuals that are able to become quite exceptional so and every, everything about the tone and and visuals in this film are so over the top it's hyper masculine tons of gore violence it He's running to get the football touchdown, and he does a backflip over three people. He doesn't just deke somebody out. He does a backflip, and then everybody like it's just it it embraces what the what it's satirizing, which is why I think Verhoeven does such a good job with this. Is because like the the people in this utopian society are exceptional. So why wouldn't she be like that, right? Everybody else is exceptional. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So it's just, it's it's within it. Uh, it doesn't break the system. That's it doesn't break the rules of the universe that are that are created, if that makes sense. It obeys its own rules. Yeah, I can't say there was ever a time where I was like, what yeah. are we talking about? I mean, other than the idea that this a super advanced space force would be totally caught off guard by some bugs shooting at them and not knowing what that is. Like they wouldn't scout out anything. They wouldn't do no, any kind of They haven't had a war in like 10 years, so they've all lettered. They're idiots. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have the frat boys attack, I guess they're not going to do any prep work. They're the guys that copied off the other kids in school, so yeah, they're yeah. not going to do their homework. On about the fight. Half, right? All right, so back to the parent. He he does say to him, there ought to be a law that you can't use a school as a recruiting station. He also says that he, he would rather be lashed in Times Square or in city center or whatever than, than have his boy join the army, which I thought was something you guys might latch on to. Corporal punishment for adults in time in, in public. Well, well there's, there's a, a, essentially there's a, Rico. Yep. That's like, well, that's a, almost more reasonable because it's the military though. Like they, they whip citizens that step out of line. There's a difference in the way that the movie and the book handled that scene where oh. Rico's telling his dad about, you know, joining up and his dad is upset about the school encouraging him to join up. And he says, no, he doesn't encourage us at all. In the movie, the, the dad's like, well, oh, okay, good. But in the book, the dad goes, basically, he says, well, that's just, you know, reverse psychology. What they're doing is telling you you're not good enough so that then you'll go out and prove them wrong. Oh, so his dad's smarter in the book. Yeah, he's smarter in the book. In the, in the movie, well, everything's so over the top in the movie, though, right? Like the tone is just, it's a Jangoist patriotic rousing you know. yeah i could see why that was stripped out for the movie for sure Well, because it, it, it essentially plays like propaganda to me right it, it's propaganda for a society that doesn't exist which is like brilliant to me because like you can either be on board with it, it kind of, like, it's kind of a bit like team america where yeah. it simultaneously ridicules america and, and also kind of says yeah there's some kick-ass stuff there you know at the same time. <laughs> right fuck yeah walmart <laughs> books <laughs> All right, so the main thing that I wanted to get out of this discussion, so let's just fire into it without skipping over it and leaving it for me for my final right, so summary and review. Robert's bringing his knife to a nuke fight here. This is it. This is the one thing I want to talk about. Then we can talk about whatever else. I don't care. So the main scene that I kind of latched onto where's Rico's in class, and he's like making a little note for his girlfriend, and they're kind of giving each other fuck me eyeballs and stuff like that. And the, the history and ethics teacher, who later turns out to be like their corporal commander guy, he's talking about how naked force has solved more issues than anything else in history. And it's, I, I, it seems like the movie is making that claim that force is just fantastic. And but maybe not necessarily fantastic. It's maybe it's amoral. You know, there's nothing moral or immoral about it. It's just is the fact of the matter is that force solves problems. And I would agree with that if and only if you look at 
life through a keyhole. If you look at it in this one instance, like this guy is causing you problems, you kill that man. Oh, look at that, problem solved. But that totally ignores all the surrounding implications of the negative effects that come across. Like say in the, in the movie, he talks about, or in the book, it's Carthage. In the movie, it's, I think it's Hiroshima. But in the book, he's saying, well, Carthage was destroyed by Rome, therefore force is an effective means of solving problems. But, you know, a lot of people hated and resented the Romans for hundreds of years. They fought and they killed Romans. Maybe some people resented the fact that Rome just wiped out Carthage. Uh, it Actions have consequences and repercussions beyond their immediate effects. And to say that, well, if I just solve this problem with violence, it doesn't have any other negative effects and it's not going to bring any further, you know, condemnation or people wanting to disassociate with me or anything like that is really doing yourself a disservice saying that, well, we're just going to solve all our problems with violence and then we'll just be great and we'll be the best, we'll be the best space force ever and there'll never be a greater space force ever. And yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm eager to hear your thoughts about that. I mean, we're all non-aggressionists, so it seems to me like that's different. Well, I've got a short take on that. And I think that his point about violence solving a lot of problems is a derivative of history is, and, and, and by history, I mean the study of history is so fraught with dates and places of wars. And history is written by the victors, as they say. And so wars play a very central role in the narrative that we tell ourselves about our own past. And when the history is written by the victors, it's those who were victorious in war, and thus their side gets shown as the benevolent side or the good side, and the vanquished are the evil, the bad. And so it's very easy, I think, to see if, if that's your narrative, then the victors are victorious because they're righteous, and because they're righteous, they solved a problem. Right. I, I, I agree with you that history is written from a perspective of the winners and saying, you know, these are great people, these warmongering tyrants. They're all fantastic. You know, the greatest human beings in history are these mass murdering tyrant people. But it just it it ignores so much. The psychological toll of being a mass murderer has got to take some kind of toll on you, on the condemnation from others, on just all kinds of sociological ramifications. Uh, yeah, like blowback, like we're experiencing from the Middle East now, like Ron Paul warned about, or even the um, you know top-down uh, war collectivism, the the war the war planning that would go on and basically destroy all these economic resources and retard production and the standard of living for entire populations for for a generation. Right. It's the seen versus the unseen. Absolutely. All this all this effort put into war and fighting and force is not going into all kinds of who knows what the market would produce. Just tons and tons of tons of prosperous things, the things that you might prefer. Yeah, war is kind of the ultimate form of um, inefficient consumerism. Um, you get to destroy stuff and then rebuilding it is beneficial to the people that produce that thing, but no one else since they don't get to keep their shit. But I think the movie um, is approaching this particular conundrum uh, in from the perspective of like uh, Fae Victus, like woe, woe to the conquered, right? So naked aggression is solved, solved in, you know, in quotation marks, he's using that expression, not me, uh, more, more problems or more situations than any other thing. And I think that it's a matter of um, like a naturalist argument of like, it's all well and good to have high ideals and to have prosperity, but if you can't defend yourself, then it's of no consequence because being conquered sucks. Well, I'm on board with that. Fully on board with defending yourself and being strong and powerful yeah. and armed and all that good stuff. Well, and, and then they just extend that into the, the preemptive, right? Which is kind of why you're able to sell a population on 
attacking another country that is smaller than you or less powerful. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's also a naturalist argument in the sense of like the strong, um, yeah, it's almost a eugenic kind of proposition, right? Like Nazism in that sense. Like in, in the, what, what this guy is proposing was more about um, creating a strong, uh, healthy race of human beings, right? It was seemed like the multi-ethnic human race, um, but the gene pool was being pushed forward by way of constantly challenging ourselves and, and finding enemies to, to fight with it, either with, the, with ourselves or externally. So I think that's the, the naked force argument is that nature is, uh, at a glance, incredibly violent. And uh, evolution is driven by, at least in part, by violence as well as cooperation, if that makes sense. So that's my apologetic side of... Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I would argue that cooperation and voluntary exchange has done far more for humanity and civilization than violence and more ever has. Oh. But it goes like appreciated. Order conquered, right? It goes way underappreciated. It gets as, as soon as some great thing comes along and makes everybody richer, everybody gets all like butthurt that they don't have a bigger share of it. Or yeah. they get as soon as it happens and it gets taken well, away, then they feel entitled to, to it. To your point about mass murder, um, we tend to create narratives that um, make people feel better about mass murder. That's the whole point of history, right? Is to, you know, woe to the, woe to the conquered, and then the the hero is given exaltation and adoration. I mean, ideally, right? Uh, to some, but not to others. I mean, for the French, Napoleon was this great guy for the most part, and to yeah. everybody he murdered, not so good. Yeah. I mean, that's where the word terrorism comes from, is the intermittent stuff leading up to that. But again, it's like you're seizing you're seizing power from chaos, right? So, like, like this is, a, I okay. I'm gonna I'm just gonna assume the apologetic side of this. I don't care. Just call me fascist. You do you. Third do it. Do it Mike. All right. So somebody else would otherwise seize the power from the chaos. So the strongest person should do that. It's at least naked aggression as opposed to the, um, the Machiavellian model of politics and insurrection, corruption, and deceit. So the satire presented in Starship Troopers is funny because he depicts a world full of people that say exactly what they believe. And even if they're in conflict with somebody and their conflicts are resolved through immediate violence and um, they're all clear on their positions and the people that succeed or fail do so essentially on their own merits. And even in selecting a mate, you're, you're asserting dominance and you're finding that through that system, right? So that's the benefit that's being portrayed satirically, you know, like to boot in the film, which is, I think what we're supposed to talk about. <laughs> no, keep... you're right. I would argue that the film shows a very surface level view of these people. It's very, it has a kind of a perspective and they, they all kind of act accordingly. It's not, it's not a more nuanced, like three dimensional show like Game of Thrones or something like that, where you have all these gray characters all operating at their own, you know, desires. What's interesting about like, so like as libertarians, you guys want to get rid of the nanny state, right? Like this movie has no nanny state. Well, it sort of does. Like, well, in the sense of the military, but there's no like... It Harvard, it's not like it, it, uh, hang on, you guys sorry? are talking over each other. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, man. Yeah, so so it is a bit of a nanny state, but it, more in a um, quid pro quo kind of situation. Like mm. if, if you do military service, you gain citizenship and will pay for Harvard and you'll get a license to have babies, which is a bit of a social engineering thing. Yeah. So it's a eugenic nanny state versus a dysgenic nanny state, right? And and you guys are trying to find the balance between these two authoritarian models. That 
is functioning, right? Which is with, you know, liberty, which like you say, outperforms every other system if it can manifest and defend itself. It absolutely can. Oh, it can, except for like corruption and people being able to form uh, unions with submissive people within systems that are prosperous because prosperity breeds, um, you know, uh, it waxes the sort of pool of people you're able to choose from. And some people aren't able to perform at the highest level. And then you get those people together and you form a union and then you, you get them to argue collectively against the next thing and you start voting in blocks and undermining those systems. Right. So it's interesting to me that like on the two ends of the spectrum are kind of the authoritative models. And then you're trying to find this balance and the balance is always, you're always just like, have to be vigilant about what is attacking that freedom model. But like viruses are less likely to survive in a dynamic system than a homogenous system. So it's got going that it's got that going for it as well. So you're liking the uh, virus of envy being the driving factor here? Yeah, I mean, like that can be that can just be assimilated and used to the advantage of the society in a in a free market, right? Um, it can also be utilized by well, it can be utilized to a much more negative sort of extent in the authoritative models. But I would say that like give it, out of the two, um, the eugenic version of authority is better than the dysgenic version of authority. If I had to apologize for the one. Which... Right, now, just for the sake of the folks at home who are going to have heard of eugenics in the most negative way. Yeah, the Hitlerian it, sense. Right. But you're speaking of it in a very descriptive way. Mm. So can you just... 10 seconds on each so that we understand. Okay, so um, nature drives us towards evolution. We mate select based on strength and uh, wealth accumulation, things like that. Um, if you provide incentives negative to that, like such as, well, I mean, it's the, um, what is it? The idiocracy model, right? So we have contraception and we have social infrastructure that provides uh, coddling for people. And so it's dysgenic in the sense that like smarter people are going to have less kids and dumber people are supported in having kids. So they're going to outpace the smart people essentially and breed down the IQ over time. If you accept the idea that two dumb parents are likely to have a dumb kid and two smart parents are likely to have a smart kid. But apparently we don't have to accept that biological truth anymore, even, even in terms of probability. Um, eugenic systems are like what nature creates, you know, naturally through competition and, and or cooperation where people are driven towards successful mating practices based on merit, meritocracy, right? So like a peacock has certain kind of bloom um, and then the female selects the male with the nicest one that she can get and they have like a kid that has like an even nicer bloom. I don't know. So that's the eugenic side. Um, yeah, it, it kind of got out of hand in the 30s, they told me, the ideas regarding this and race and Do tell. identity and stuff. Uh, yeah, well, I think there's plenty of there's plenty of comparisons um, in the media right now from other media sources about that time in our history. I recommend I'm not aware people, of this, but I okay. recommend people study that part of our history, uh, humanity's history, um, at ad nauseum, because there's a lot to unpack. But anyway, um, dysgenic means you're you're promoting... Um, well, I can't do it without actually sounding like a fast I mean, like positive player. traits. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, uh, it's like two smart, big, strong people get together and they make a big, strong. Yeah. Big that's a eugenic principle. And then it's a positive eugenic principle. Negative yeah. eugenic principle would be you take a, take a person with undesirable traits, like with, you know, propensity t towards disease and you yeah. castrate that person or something like that, which yeah, is what okay. the United States did in the twenties and the thirties. Yeah. Yeah. The, the they were doing, they were doing what the Nazis did better than the Nazis, right? Like, yeah, Hitler looked at the American model and said, hey, that's a good idea. Okay. Well, I knew we could not get through this without mentioning Hitler. It's my fault. It is. Talking about you, I'm glad you Sorry, guys. Well, uh, hey, anyway. Hitler's a good point as any to get in our final summary and review as we've been going about an hour already. Okay.
So why don't we do that? Or, or are there any last points before we get into that? I'm easy. I, I would, you know, like I'd like to make a stronger point at the end there without sounding like a Nazi, but it's la vie. Like it called a cucker a Nazi one one conversation a day. So both simultaneously, it seems. Uh, sometimes, sometimes, not often, but generally it depends on which echo chamber I visit. All right. Well, Mike, you've been a, a great guest again. And why don't we start with you for the final summary review, and you can uh, open with uh, your final defense of your position and then get into your rating for the movie well like i said um mr verhoven makes satire so compelling he makes the thing he's satirizing seem awesome um i think the total lack of restraint in his filmmaking is fantastic the shock composition um the dialogue is all over the top nothing subtle it really portrays this society not as an action film but more as a propaganda piece um maybe action films are always propaganda pieces and he's just just putting his foot down on the pedal who knows um i don't mind apologetics uh i will certainly enjoy that kind of thought experiment so uh all said i think it's a great action film you can get a lot out of it it gets you thinking so 11 out of 10. wow the first time we we break the bank on the uh, the rating. We turn this all the way eleven, and we haven't even done Spinal Tap yet. So. Well, didn't we? Didn't Mike give a ten out of ten? He did, and then uh, the anarchist mom gave Lord of the Rings a ten out of ten. And now we've got an eleven out of ten. This I'm, is getting out of control. We got to rein this back in. I'm devaluing your this rating system. system. Center um, inflationary properly. Well, I'm just pointing like out the, the possible flaws in it to your benefit. All right. Well, thank you for that. Well, I, I'll I'll take a turn here. Um, I felt like this movie was horrifically long, and I hadn't seen it since it came out, um, and so I didn't really remember too much of it prior to watching it again, other than it had a high cheese factor, and it really rang through uh, watching it this time. But I also found that there was a lot of intellectual philosophical points trying to be made like with uh, jester that was rayshack right he played jester in top gun um that it really did bring a lot to the table to kind of consider and think about um it really is a, a utopian slash dystopian society this militaristic world government situation with the federation i, I don't think that it would uh, have functioned uh, at the high level that it was portrayed in the film um i do think that there were some improvements over present day situations as far as like there being some skin in the game for having uh voting in the political process uh like we mentioned earlier on not that i advocate for really any political process i think that people should be their own sovereigns and make their own individual choices for themselves be able to change exchange with others in a mutually beneficial arrangement the law of association etc but uh, it does bring a lot to discuss um I'm going to go with a 7.2 out of 10 on this one. So I do recommend watching it. Uh, I do recommend listening to this show after you watch it and then consider the some of the points that we've made. And, and let us know, like on the Facebook page or, or on our website. You can give us some comments, give us some feedback on what you thought about uh, what we were talking about. Hit us up on YouTube, etc. But uh, 7.2 for me. Uh, so I'm going to bring down the average that uh, was over 10 from our guest here. Uh, and we'll go to Robert for your summary and review. All right. Well, I'm glad you both give such good interesting reviews. Um, thank you, Mike, for bringing up the idea that this movie is uh, a propaganda piece and that all war movies are inherently propaganda pieces. Um, it's really impossible to not see once you kind of adopt our psychology, you know, like a Saving Private Ryan or uh, geez, almost almost any any movie, even even something like Full Metal Jacket, which is kind of more of a negative war movie. Um, there's still still a lot of pro, you know, pro arguments to be had in the war, like the positive aspects of war and that sort of thing. Anyway, 
this movie, it can be enjoyed on so many different levels. It still holds up. It's a lot of fun. It is very vivid. I don't know if you want to call it that. Like, it's like normal reality cranked up to 11. And it's very, you know, t Saturday TV morning fun cartoon. And it's just a, a fun bug fun hunt. I, I did not feel the two-hour runtime. It was just... Um, fun to me maybe because i enjoy just the silliness of all of the action and the antlions from half-life 2 looking real good but um yeah uh i'd say this is a strong like 7.5 slightly better than daniel's view maybe just the length is didn't bother me as much but um you know for all, it's got levels it's like an onion it's got layers it's 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 more than meets the eye it's it's a lot of fun all right well very good and i think that'll about do it for this episode here and we can't see Mike. Mike's trying to show us something on the screen, which you could also view if you were a live stream uh, supporter at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Just the average. Oh, he's showing the average. What, what is the average from our three? Uh, like uh, 80, 86% or something. All right. 8.5. Yeah. Uh, on the aggregate from us on the last nighters here tonight. So uh, final final comments on the show here is uh, we want to thank you, Mike, for being our guest. Um, people can check out your music on SoundCloud at Mechanical Dream Revolution. We will have that post on the show notes page at lastnighters.com slash 57. Uh, and next week, we're going to see the other side of this horseshoe. We're going to flip the coin, the other side of the authoritarianism, and talk about the French Revolution uh, as we discuss Les Miserables. We're doing the 2012 version with Hugh Jackman. It's apparently a musical that is well over three hours long, almost four. So it's going to be quite lengthy, um, but it should be a fruitful discussion. We will have a special guest, and uh, I will let you know who that is uh, on the Facebook page uh, sometime this week. Um, we just need to, to nail that down. But that will be the show next week. Les Miserables on Last Nighters. Uh, so with that, I'll say good night from last night, everybody. Thank you for joining us. All right, continue for a few more minutes on Actual Anarchy before we get into the Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Uh, one point I wish I had brought up earlier is when Doogie Hauser, who's like this empath, is able to communicate with the bug and he says, it's afraid and everyone <laughs> cheers. Yeah. Right on. Yay. Our enemy fears us. What yeah. is best in life, Conan? How is that like a resolution? Like, Because uh, they're going to conquer their enemy. Their enemy is afraid of them. And they should be because the weak should fear the strong. Well, they've just been nuking their planet. Yeah. Maybe that's like understandable. No, it's I don't a, know. It's if, a, if a bunch of high-tech soldiers invaded my neighborhood and started nuking everything, I'd probably be a little bit scared too. Yeah, the handheld tactical nukes. I mean, this is like Ancapistan on that planet. <laughs> what's, what's really interesting is that like fascism and libertarianism both can have like lib uh, naturalist arguments applied to them, right? Because like chaos and anarchy is the natural state of things, but so is like uh, dominance through strength and violence. They're both kind of true, and they've both been kind of like contending freedom and freedom and, and and oppression. Yeah, they're opposing forces that have contended throughout history for sure. Yeah, they, they both kind of like drive um, evolution. You know, evolution of thought, evolution of of actual species. So it's just kind of interesting. Yeah, I wonder Indeed. because you know, humankind. It, it's almost like humans are part of nature, but they're also possessing free will and, and able to make yeah. decisions and try, try to transform the natural environment around them and usually screwing something up in the process, right? Yeah. Well, you can't cut corners with nature, right? So 
So we like having a house, like, I mean, especially in Canada where we're bought, like I, I live in a place where they, they burn fossil fuels to provide electricity for an electric heater to heat my home in the winter. And I would die without that, likely. Without consuming fossil fuels, I would definitely die in this environment. Unless, unless you had some sort of um, solar system that would took up most of, the, most of my province. Um, and so what's interesting is that creates, or, you know, glasses, right? Like the, an, the anarcho-primitive, uh, primitivist uh, argument, right? Of like getting back to nature or whatever. But it's like, who would win? Um, somebody who needs glasses that isn't allowed to have glasses because they're part of a technological society or some orange blurry thing with teeth coming at you you know it's like um we we create a, a dysgenic model just by having technology just by allowing people to survive without the strength to survive in nature without humanity if that makes sense so it's through cooperation and a naturally socialistic or charitable or compassionate um element of humanity that that drives you know uh, our society a lot right and so i think it just gets to a break point where we take on too much that we can't support it and then uh authority just kind of brings a hammer down and starts thinning out the herd so to speak and i'm not sure how to avoid it like i think we create very intricate and um uh, like overwhelming stories to tell people to make it okay for this thing to be happening but ultimately it's like I mean, I like medical science because like dying of diseases sucks. And I like the infrastructure we've built because dying of starvation sucks. And it's not like I'd want to see my loved ones suffering, whether they could survive or not. Not only that, um, whether, whether or not I'm strong enough to survive with, within nature, I want to propagate my own, my own genetic lineage. So I'll do whatever it takes to do that. And that might be bargaining collectively or forming some form of union to collectively over the sap the resources of other people that can collect resources more efficiently is that too much yeah, i'm not sure how we got here from the bug is afraid but i think you're making the point that as man grapples with nature though he is part of nature he does dominate it to make it accommodate to him and without that domination of that nature that uh, actually makes man be able to uh be dysgenic as you were saying yeah. more people who are less robust less uh, yeah. independently strong and, and able yeah. to survive on their own will be able to uh, survive in an environment like that. And so in a way, it's almost like you see how by providing more nat or more nature given things and transforming them, transforming them into goods and services for others that you're facilitating more people being able to live. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost um, a vicious cycle, too, because the, um, well, maybe just genetics, not a very, I mean, that's a very pejorative term. Maybe it's limited because it's only just genetic within the own, within the natural model. It's not just genetic within the system of humankind because we create a different environment for people to survive in. And it's kind of a vicious cycle because the more we push in that direction, the more specialization and divisional labor can occur and then hyper specialization to a fault. But right, which that, that only serves the system more. Well, it also improves the standard of living and yeah, exactly. poverty and, and everyone is better off. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's interesting. But it's like, um, I think I think sort of fascistic systems rise up out of uh, when that doesn't function. I think that fascism just rises like instantaneously the second that becomes the least bit corrupted and starts pushing back against it. So it's sort of the pendulum, like as more and more people um, have more and more of their wants and needs fulfilled, they have more free time yeah. to organize and demand more. Yep, that's and, the part of it. And then also like we're producing people that need less and less diversity of skill 
perspective and less ability to survive outside of very, very narrow margins. Right. And so then they will advocate for more interventions and more restrictions, yeah. and regulations and control over free exchange and, and, and basically the golden goose of what's providing them all of these things. And then once they go past a certain point, then the pendulum swings the other way. Yeah, it's like a correction. And then we just kind of naturally do it, whether that's, I mean, I mean, it's not good but it is what happens. I just see it happen historically. Right. And and that mechanism is is political violence, right? Essentially. Yeah. The the um like Larkin Rose talks about the uh, belief in authority, like un, unjust authority. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so we just have to get people over that most dangerous su- superstition. Well, I just I, I try to focus on creating safety and liberty within systems, right? As much as I can. Like try to create alternatives to the authoritative model that we live under. But you know, part of me, I'm like a one I'm like two thirds libertarian, one third fascist, I guess, because I'm going to be left standing in the end. And ultimately, it's like if I'm going to be forced to obey an authoritative model, I'm going to be as high up on that model as I can, if that makes sense. What? Just as, a, as my own self interest, right? You're going to be high up on the fascistic model? Well, you're going to be the, high up, be the like Benito 10. Mussolini? Yeah, I'd rather, I mean, fascism is fine if I'm running it. So you want to be hanged in the streets? Yeah, whatever. I stand behind my beliefs. My decisions. But like, again, it's like I'd be dismantling that as soon as I got to the top. Well, no, I wouldn't. But no one would, right? That's the whole point. Well, he's basically saying that within the the structure that exists and inside the paradigm that exists, he has a incentive to behave within that structure to make sure that he's benefits. Yeah, not, not just survives benefits. I have a moral obligation to do so. You have a moral obligation to benefit off of an amoral system. Yes, as much as I can. Well, you have a self-interest in doing so. I don't think it feels like a biological imperative, though, to dominate as much as I can, given whatever is presented before me, which is what I think happens in political systems. I think we end up just opportunism, pure opportunism. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not taking in any kind of personal morality. Like it's wrong. Well, I, I was a Boy Scout people. and oh, it's totally wrong to steal from people. But it's like if everybody's stealing, like how long can I be stoic about that? I mean, to, to the detriment of my own... So if everybody theory. else is jumping off a bridge, you should jump off a bridge too? Well, jumping off a bridge isn't beneficial to my survival. There might be Even something awesome at the bottom of that bridge, sir. You do not know. No, fair it could enough. be a tub full of gummy bears. To my detriment, I, am, I have not done the thing I'm talking about. Okay. But it, there's a point at which it's like you can't really argue with people, you know, because they're, they're just exercising force against you. So you have to just infiltrate and, and try to corrupt the system that, of authority they're using, right? And try to get as high up as you can. And I don't know. I think maybe that's like how, like, um, writers especially sort of try to seed their knowledge into things. Like, this is what uh, Hellman? Heinlein. Heinlein was trying to do because he saw what he thought was wrong in society. And he tried to create a, you know, a carefully hidden propaganda of, of his own ideas. And maybe that's just what art is, right? Just selling, you know, your, your own personal propaganda to people. Yeah, you got to put yourself into your art. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I think, Mike, you said that uh, after our last conversation that you came around on the flat tax, perhaps you'll come around on this one, too. Uh, oh, oh, I shouldn't be. I'm only one third. <laughs> it's a fallback position is my point. OK, all right. Well, as much as I can be until it until it uh, creates a personal threat or a, an unavoidable conflict. I avoid conflict at all costs, but sometimes you can't, right? That's so, true. And that's where the self-defense comes into play. Yeah, and it's the whole like zombie apocalypse shit, right? I'd probably be running the gang of 12 people looking for water and food. And I would be very authoritative about how I did that, given the 
given the uh, consequences for failure from my tribe, you know? So you'd be the guy with the baseball bat with, wrapped in barbed wire and bashing uh, people's heads in? <laughs> I'd be more like the, a functioning version of the governor, I think. But I'd keep the eye patch. Well, eye patches are cool. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. There's no way I'm going to sell you guys on authoritarianism and because I only, I only fall back to it. It's not really my primary position. So I can apologize for it, though, all day. I understand why it happens and what the benefits are. And I end up in dominant positions of people in my life through voluntary, voluntary relationships. But as that grows, that might become more like a cult and less like relationships, right? Isn't it uh, a failure, though, to communicate falling for authoritarianism? Isn't it just an inability to convince another person of your good ideas? Yes, yes, it is. And that's why I like arts. I like artists as as conveyors of truth, as opposed to politicians, right? So like 1984 is more interesting to me than anything a political figure is going to say, because he gives us all the information that he has to say, and his essays, you know, like shooting an elephant, and um, he had a really interesting life, right? So you can like listen to his perspective, and he's not looking for power. And those those kinds of people are very interesting, but not everybody reads as much as they should. And like, there's a lot of people on Twitter saying things in 140 characters, that are incredibly dogmatic and, and violent in nature. So it's difficult to it's difficult to defend against that without some sort of collective defense. I'm not against collective defense. You can have no, voluntary collective, collective defense. Attack, right? You can have private defense. You can do all kinds of defenses. Yeah, that's uh, that's what Yoda said, right? Um, the force is only for uh, knowledge and defense, never for attack. I think that's what he said. Yeah, so I'll take it. Well, let's take this show into the Kathleen Turner Overdrive because I think we've been going a little bit long here on the Actual Anarchy Show. This has been 114 of the show. You can find the show notes and more at actualanarchy.com slash 114. I'd like to thank our guest, Mike C, for joining us once again. He was here for Scrooged and he was here for Night of the Living Dead. He was here for Collateral last week and now Starship Troopers. And I think uh, at some point in the future, we're going to be talking about Gattaca and perhaps a few others. So, Mike, thank you again for joining us. And uh, if you stick around a little bit longer, we can do some Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is available for our, our Patreon supporters at the $5 a month or more level. They get the behind-the-scenes pre-show and post-show. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Hit us up on the uh, old iTunes. Give us some uh, reviews and subscribes uh, and all that. I just posted a bunch of reviews on our podcast page at ashwanarchy.com slash podcast. So read some of those and see if you agree uh, and leave some of your own. And uh, good night, everyone. In the early days of the Internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do